Welcome to the Exchange Church Podcast. You can find us on Facebook as well as Twitter and Instagram at Exchange Houston. The following is a message from our guest speaker. Always good to be with all of you. Uh, I had a great time this morning. I know God brought some uh, strength and encouragement to everybody. Uh, you know, we get going along in life, and it's amazing how easy it is to get weary uh, to where we nearly faint uh, just because of things that we go through because life happens to everybody. None of us are immune. Uh, it, it happens whether you're righteous or unrighteous. And, uh, you know, sometimes sometimes I, I know I was under teaching for a season where if anything bad was happening, uh, you know, then uh, there was something wrong with you rather than understand that, listen, just life happens. Sometimes, as, you know, we, we have a church, American church culture, everybody just, the devil did everything. You know, if your dryer breaks down, that devil, your dryer broke down, it was 12 years old. All right. I, I mean, I, I mean, sometimes we just, we put blame on anything and everything rather than just saying, man, listen, your car's like 15 years old and why well, the devil's really after me this week. He's probably not. It's just your car broke down because people's cars break down. All right, whether you're righteous or unrighteous, it just it, it happens, and so uh, you know we just have to learn learn how to navigate. That's why he called us to be overcomers, and overcomers are people that have made up their mind to come over or get over some things, and that's the only way you can be an overcomer is you got to you know as folks say build a bridge and get over it. You know I mean if you if you never have anything to get over, then you're never going to be an overcomer, and. Uh, what just, oh, there we go. And uh, see, I got to get over technology. Oh, is that right? <laughs> didn't want to hear that part of it. Uh, I, I, I know a lot of you in the past have also uh, purchased our materials, but uh, after the service, I'll be back, the table back there. Uh, if there's some of those USBs you don't have, I encourage you to grab them. Uh, there's some really good stuff in there. Uh, t- t- tonight, I, r- I really want to share something and then, and then get to uh, ministering uh, to everybody as, as, as much as the Lord leads. But I really want to talk about something tonight that has been a, it's been at least a 10-year journey for me, and uh, I'm, I'm going to do my best to articulate it the best I know, but then at the same time, uh, not get in too much trouble either. Hallelujah. And uh, that's all right, isn't it? Just, uh, I, I, have, I have been in this, uh, I've been in this season of, I understand why Paul gets to the end of his life, and at the end of his life, Paul said this one thing I know. He's like, I've got one thing down pat. I mean, Paul could have talked about all kinds of stuff. I mean, Paul said, man, I knew a man who went to the third heaven. Most believe it was him. And he said, I was shown things that, that no one else was. Matter of fact, I couldn't even share them. This guy, this guy that went to the third heaven, he couldn't even share them. So I just always get nervous when people talk about how much they go to heaven and can't wait to come back and tell everybody all about it. I mean, you know, I mean, if Paul, if Paul said he went down, because that, that's like a, that's, you know, there's a whole new theology out there right now on that, and everybody going into the courts of heaven, it's all old covenant, because uh, we ain't coming into the courts of anything, we're coming into the living room, because we come boldly to daddy's throne, not a king's throne. Come on, is daddy a king? Yes, but we're coming into the living room, we're not coming into the courtroom, there's not, there's not God the Father who's got a big gavel in his hand ready to pronounce judgment on you, and then there's not Jesus who's our heavenly lawyer, he's litigating on our behalf, and then the devil's a prosecuting attorney, the devil got kicked out of heaven a long time ago, that's not what we're walking into, we have an advocate with the Father. All right, and so we're coming into a throne of grace and mercy. We're not coming in. This this is not the book of Job. We are not in the book of Job. We are in the new covenant. Hallelujah. And we have a good, good father. 
And as a good father, he's saying, climb up on my lap. I'm sitting on a lazy boy. Will I, will I bring correction to you? Yes, but it's always going to be redemptive, and it's going to be out of my love. It's not going to harm you. It's going to be for your good. And so it, it's, it's our views of who God is is extremely important. When I was with you uh, last year, we, we talked about that, about, uh, about the veil that continually drops over people's eyes when we don't see God clearly. And so I just want to talk a little bit tonight about uh, what is God like? You know, I, I, think, I think we've got all kinds of pictures of that. And, uh, you know, we've got over, I think, 33,000 denominations and movements on the planet. And everybody thinks that what they see God as is exactly what God is like. I mean, so, you know, how, how do we really know? Do we, do we make God in our own image or do we conform to his? You know, do we, uh, do, do we choose to say, well, I think God is like this, even though all the evidence might say a little bit differently? I mean, how do we really know what God is like? You know, I said this morning, uh, you know, some believe God is like and looks like Buddha, which, you know, I hope he looks a little different than that. But uh, some think he is, he is like all kinds of things. But we're going to look at tonight, I believe, what God is really like and what his heart is, and what the new covenant revealed to us. And, and I, I want to start off by saying this. Listen, I, I, I live, breathe, study, and devour the scriptures. I, I absolutely, I am so grateful. Now, I'm so grateful that we have a Bible. Aren't you glad you got a Bible? Because let, 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 me, let me tell you something. And, and you know, mo most folks have not studied history enough to even know this kind of stuff. First of all, uh, for the first 394 years of the church, there wasn't a Bible. You know, I mean, the Gentiles, I highly, I highly doubt, you know, they would have said, uh, hey, you know what, we want to look at the law and the prophets because, uh, you know, we're, we're just going to be all excited about that because the Gentiles were never under law in the first place. All right, they were passed down oral traditions. Uh, matter of fact, Paul, I mean, Paul in his writing says, don't forget the traditions that I taught you. And we think tradition's bad, but he was talking about oral teachings that he had passed down. That means there was some stuff Paul said that probably didn't get written down and canonized. But what happens with that is uh, the scriptures weren't canonized till about 394 A.D. And then from 394 A.D. to 1600, the Bible was only in Latin, and about 2% of people on the planet could read it. So, you know, uh, matter of fact, there was only normally one Bible in every town or every village under lock and chain in the local Catholic parish. And the priest couldn't take the Bible out and sit at a desk. He had to study it by bending over that desk and reading it because it was under lock and chain. And the priest happened to be able to read some Latin. And so, you know, I've thought for years, so for nearly 1,600 years, what if you got under a priest that didn't know what he was talking about? I guess you're pretty much screwed. Because you couldn't go read it for yourself. I mean, you couldn't go study it because you didn't even know how to read. I mean, do you realize that more than 85% of the world was illiterate till the 1890s? And so in the 1600s with the Wittenberg Press, what happened is that all of a sudden they began to print Bibles in the people's languages. And that's great. The problem is 85 to 90% of people were illiterate. And even if you gave them a Bible, they wouldn't know what to do with it in the first place because they couldn't read. And I've said for years, what in the world did the church do for the first 1,900 years when they didn't have what we have, which is 40 versions in our phone? I mean, I want you to think about that. I mean, Paul shows up to the church at Thessalonica. He preaches the forgiveness of sins and how awesome Jesus is. And then he leaves. He's there for a couple months. He leaves for three or four years. He comes back, and there's a thriving church. And I've thought for years, what in the world did they talk about? They didn't have a Bible. 
I mean, they just gathered together, had meals. They prayed for each other. They prayed for the sick. And, you know, hey, how you doing? How you doing, Bob? Good. How's your kids doing? I mean, you know, I mean, everything doing okay at work? And, and you know, I mean, they were sharing their testimony about how God forgave their sin. They didn't get together and discuss doctrine, nor did they do, and, and I'm going to do a blog on this on Monday, nor did they do what most of the American church does, here, verse, there, verse, everywhere, verse, verse. You know, because if someone wants to argue with you, they can just find a verse from everywhere. Because the truth is this, you can find a verse for whatever you want to believe. Uh, I mean, you really can. I mean, if you want to have more than one wife, you can find a few verses for that. I mean, I still remember a couple years ago when the whole, you know, uh, gay marriage thing came out. And everybody was getting on Facebook and they're saying marriage is between one man and one woman. God, the Bible makes it clear. I'm like, have you read the Bible? <laughs> now, Jesus made it clear. Jesus, when he showed up, he said, listen, he said, what God has joined, let no man put asunder. But, but in the Bible, nearly all of the fathers of faith, all of the kings, all of the people that we worship, I mean, they, they were polygamous, man. They had wives all over the place. Are y'all going to at least smile at me a little bit? Just, I, I mean, think about it. It's like, you know, listen, if you're going to use the Bible as your example for everything, just, just know folks are going to find some stuff in there. I mean, it, it, you know, if, 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 if you want to have a, you know, if you want to have a sex slave, I mean, there's verses in there that says when you go off to war, you can bring a sex slave home with you. Uh, do you think God was all about that? I mean, you know, I mean, that's just a, think about it at least, you know. I mean, do you, you think God's okay with that? And uh, do you know that people, Christians, I mean, I mean, our founding fathers, men of great faith and fervor, and they had slaves and raped them and had kids with them. And many times there was scripture for it. Well, you know, Paul said to tell the slaves they need to obey their masters. It's in the Bible. That's even in the New Testament. Was God saying he was okay with slavery? No, he's saying, listen, the culture of the day is slavery because the culture of the day is slavery and, and you're not going to be able to get out of it because your life was sold into it. Honor those and bless them and show them what Jesus looks like through the process of that. But listen, man, I mean, it's not that God's for. God's for freedom. He's not for slavery. Someone please say amen. And so we, we, we get in all of these things and all these issues and finally in the you know, the eight, late 1800s, because of the Industrial Revolution, now all of a sudden uh, there was a middle class, and now people were being educated because there wasn't even an education system up until the 1800s. And, and, and now people could finally read for themselves. And now I'm grateful that I live in the 21st century. I'm glad I can go to BibleHub.com, and I can see every translation, the Greek and the Hebrew. It's a great day to live. Thank you, Jesus. I, I can see it. But I also need to know that I need to study it from the proper covenant. I need to study it from the proper perspective. And I can't pull verses out and just say I'm trying to make a point. You've got to read all the rest of the verses. It's amazing how until you read the rest of the story. Uh, a good friend of mine he says it all the time. He said, a text out of context is a con. Uh, and a lot of us have been conned to believe a lot of things because we pulled stuff out of their actual meaning. And rather than produce life in us, it actually at times can then begin to produce fear and bondage and all kinds of things. And I absolutely believe, I, I want to say right from the get-go, I believe the Bible is exactly what it says about itself. I believe it is inspired by God. Everybody say amen. Absolutely believe it is inspired and, and, and that God moved on men, breathed on them to write things down. But men also wrote with their perspectives from their culture. 
and their perspective from their culture, they believed, ancient people believed that God did everything, good, bad, and ugly. And whether it was God or the devil, it was the same person. And so if you don't understand that, then there's some things you'll misunderstand. So uh, read with me. Uh, I, I'm going to start in John chapter 1. John chapter 1. And I'm going to start in verse 14 of John chapter 1. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, the Logos. We beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness of that truth and cried out, saying, This was he who I spoke. He that comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness all of us have received grace for grace. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Now here's the verse. No man has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom or from the bosom of the Father, he has declared him or he has unveiled him or he has made him clear and made him, made him known. So now also read with me. I'm going to read 1 John chapter 1, 1 John chapter 1, starting in verse 1. This John that we read in the gospel now writes this epistle. That which was from the beginning, that which we have heard, that which we have seen with our own eyes, which we have looked upon, speaking of Jesus, and our hands have handled. He's like, I've looked at him, I've seen him, I've touched him, concerning the word of life. So he calls Jesus the Logos of life. The life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us, that which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you, that your joy may be full. This is the message which we have heard from him. And we declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Now the interesting thing about when we are studying the scriptures is I've had people tell me for years there's no contradictions in the Bible. Maybe, maybe, maybe one of the next times that I come, maybe one of the Sunday nights we'll just do a dialogue service. I love doing dialogue services. Uh, and I'll just sit up here and y'all can ask questions. Those, those are fun. I love those services. I mean, I, mean uh, I look forward to that when we do it every month at our church, and I get, I get some fun questions too. Like, man, I, and I also have no problem saying, I don't know, you know. <laughs> I'm like, that's a good question. I mean, we had one of the young men in our church, he asked me a question one time. He said, he said, he said to me, he said, Bishop, he said, you know, I read there in Matthew 25. In Matthew 25, uh, it says that hell was made for the devil and his messengers, or the devil and his demons. And he said, if the devil and his demons live to torment humans, and if you put humans where the devil and his demons are, doesn't it make it heaven for them? And I thought, I don't know. <laughs> That's a pretty good thought. I don't, know if my, I don't know if my preacher's kid mine would have ever thought about that one. I mean, I've been too indoctrinated in my life. It took someone that's never been to church before to say, you know what, this don't make much sense to me. How about this right here? And I, I still ain't got back to him because I still don't have the answer, to be honest with you. I, <laughs> I have no idea. And guess what? I'm okay with that. I'm okay. I don't know everything. Man, there's a lot of stuff I don't know, and I am all right because if I know everything, I'm God, and you don't want me to be God. Hallelujah. He, he might just be a little more merciful than me. I, I, think, he, I think he probably is. <laughs> but when, when, we're, when we're thinking about this idea of 
of who God is. You know, is he, is he like Zeus? Uh, is he like, is he like a lot of how the church has described him? Is God, is God like the law? Because the law was full of punishment and the law was full of wrath. I mean, if he's completely like the law, because the law, it says, came by Moses. And isn't it interesting? It doesn't say the law came by God. It says the law came by Moses. That, 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 that ought to be a little bit of a clue for us right there. Because then Jesus shows up in the Sermon on the Mount. In the Sermon on the Mount, he says, you have heard said an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. He said, this is what Moses taught you. Moses taught you if someone hits you, knock them out, man. Get them right back. Man, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Retribution, it's you. But I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those that despitefully use you. He's, like, he's now saying, he's like, listen, man, I'm not just reinterpreting it. I'm telling you the complete opposite. In other words, me and my daddy, we never said that. We inspired it to be written because it was for a covenantal purpose, and it's what man wanted. Man didn't want the, the covenant I wanted to give him. Instead, man wanted a whole different relationship with me, and so I responded to them according to what they want, and God has been on a covenant journey with man all through the Old Testament to finally get to the fullness of what he was talking about, and that is Jesus. And he said, listen, if you really want to know what God looks like, God looks like Jesus, because then you read John, and John says things like, they're... God is light and there's no darkness in him at all. But then you go over here to the book of Isaiah and it says that in God there's darkness and light. There's good and there's evil. So is there no darkness in God or isn't there? Amen. Are y'all still here? I, I, I mean, First John tells us three things about God. God is light, God is life, and God is love. I mean, John explains it very clearly. And so if, if God is light, he's life and he's love. And Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and life more abundantly. My purpose for being here is to produce life in you. But the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And yet sometimes we, you know, I, I don't know if you all have ever actually read your Bible and wondered sometimes if God was bipolar. Um, I mean, let's just be honest. I mean, there's, there's sometimes you read the Old Testament and you're like, oh, wait a minute. Uh, Jesus said, I've only come to bring life, but then it says over here, God opened the earth, swallowed, and killed people. So is, is God stealing life? Because I thought the thief steals life. Y'all are getting nervous already, aren't you? Just, I'm going somewhere. You know, it, it, it doesn't mean it's any less. It's still important. I, I'm convinced one of the purposes for the scriptures, as Jesus said, you search the scriptures day and night, you don't find eternal life in them. He's, like, he's, telling, he's, man, he's telling those scribes and Pharisees, you study the Torah, the law, and the prophets up one side and down the other, and you don't find eternal life in them because the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. He said, but now, guess what? Jesus shows up, and, and man, John 1.18 has been gnawing at me for 10 years. No man has seen God at any time. In other words, anything anyone said about God, it wasn't clear. It wasn't clear. They believed God look that way. But did God really look that way? I mean, if God only gives life, then Old Testament even says it. Samuel says God never takes life, he only gives life. And about seven chapters later, he's opening the earth, swallowing and killing a bunch of people. So, I mean, was God doing that or did they believe God did that? Because ancient cultures believe that anything that happened, it was all God's fault. So, did they believe God did that? Sure. Did God actually do that? My, my theology is getting simpler. Uh, WWJD. I think you can go a long way in WWJD. What would Jesus do? 
if no man has seen God at any time until Jesus... In other words, Jesus is the one that came and he said, now listen, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you want to know what daddy really looks like, watch how I treat people. If you want to know what dad's heart has always been towards humanity, look at my heart towards humanity. If you really want to know how to live your life, watch me. Emulate me. Emulate according to Hebrews chapter 1 verses 2 and 3. Jesus is the exact representation of the Father. According to Colossians, he's the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Jesus is the one that we're called to emulate. Jesus is the one we're conformed to his image. Jesus. Listen, God is like Jesus. Everybody say God is like Jesus. God has always been like Jesus. We, listen, God is like Jesus. God has always been like Jesus. There's never been a time he wasn't like Jesus. We just didn't know it. But now we do. He said, if you want to know what Abba looks like, look at me. If you want to know how Father responds to sin and shame, look at me. If you want to know how Father feels about the pains of others, look at me. If you want to know what daddy looks like, see, so many people have had a misconstrued idea of God, and they've gotten it from wrong doctrine. They've gotten it from wrong teaching. They've also gotten it, help us, Father, they've also got it from the Bible out of context. Truth is, you can prove almost about anything you want. If you want a God who is angry and retributive, you can find a verse for it. If you want to find a God that's not angry and non-retributive, there's verses for it. If you want to find a God who asks for sacrifice, there's a bunch of them. If you want to find one like Jeremiah 7, Jeremiah 8, where God says of the children of Israel through Jeremiah, he said, I never told your forefathers to offer all the sacrifices and all those burnt offerings. I told them to obey my voice. And it's like, wait a minute, what? I mean, Moses said it was you that was telling him to do all that stuff. I, I mean, that can get a little bit confusing if you read it. Come on. And, and, and so the, the, the truth is this. When I sit on airplanes next to agnostics and atheists, that's what they want to talk to me about. I mean, I finally turned to one guy one day, and I said, I'm not going to argue a book with you. Let me tell you about what God's done in my life. I'm a living epistle written and read of all men. Let me explain to you. I mean, we can sit here and do here verse, there verse all day long, but let me actually tell you how God changed my life because you can't argue with the living book. Uh, You can't argue with someone whose life has been changed and transformed by the logos of God living on the inside of them. And Jesus is the one that transforms our life. Most people, I mean, most of the world don't have an issue with Jesus. I said, man, he's probably the greatest man that ever lived. Look at how he treated people. Look at how he loved people. Even people that are anti-church many times are not anti-Jesus. They'll even tell you, I mean, you know, Jesus is cool. You know, Doobie Brothers, Jesus is just all right with me. Me and Jesus are cool. I mean, I'm not sure about his daddy. I'm not, I'm not always sure about this father he talked about because, boy, look at over here and look at this and look at that. And what is God like? Is God, is God like the law requires that, I mean, if I get upset with my wife one day, I just got to wait till she walks out of the house on her monthly cycle and I can stone her. I mean, if all of a sudden my kids are really getting on my nerves, I mean, I just got to wait till they just really rebelled, and I just take them out in the backyard and take them little suckers out. Because there's a scripture for it. Are, 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 y'all, are y'all with me? Y'all? <laughs> y'all are going, Lord, have mercy. Help us, Jesus. I mean, truth is, man, we can prove whatever we want, but does it look like Jesus? What does the, the heart of God look like? 
And God became flesh. John, John tells us, listen, man, no one has seen God any time. That's a verse that, that is almost a complete contradiction because five times in the Old Testament people saw God. Moses talked to him face to face. Abraham cooked God a meal. They saw God, but they didn't see God clearly until Jesus showed up. That means it's not that they didn't see God in part. That's why they saw the shadows. We get to see the substance. John says we got to touch him. We got to, we got to handle him. We got to see what he's really like because God showed up as a man, and he showed us how to live. One, 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 thing, I love about, uh, one thing I loved about watching the movie The Shack is Mackenzie, he sits down with Jesus in the carpenter shop, and he said, I feel so comfortable with you. I feel more comfortable with you than I do with the Spirit and with the Father. And he said, because I'm a human. I thought that was incredible, because there's a man in heaven praying for us right now, the man, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is our mediator. There is a, a man in heaven in a glorified body, the one like we're going to have. Uh, there's a man that took on flesh. God became a human. I want you to think about this. The incarnation, I believe, is one of the greatest miracles that ever took place on the planet. God decided, you know what? In order for me to be able to really help men, I'm going to actually place myself in an embryo. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to place myself inside of a womb. I'm going to come through a birth canal. I am, I am going to choose to live like a human because of how much I love these humans for me to be able to bring redemption into their life. And so so he, he sweats, he works, he labors, he hungers, he thirsts. Everything that we would go through, he went through. There's nothing we'll ever go through that he can't relate with. Everything Jesus submitted to his mom and dad. He submitted to authority. He lived purely and completely as a human. I remember several years ago, the Lord hit me with something, and I, I love talking about the cross, and the cross would always, it would cause me when I meditate on it to weep because of everything he did for me and as me. But lately, it's been the incarnation more. The word leaves heaven, the son of God, knowing he would never return the way he left. His love for us chose to limit himself to human form for all of eternity when he was nothing but a spirit. He loves us so much, he says, you know what? I am going to choose to climb in a body and I'm going to stay in one forever because you're still going to need a man to relate to the Father through. I'm going to choose to look like you for all of eternity because I love you. The amazing thing that God shows up and God, when he shows up, Lord, Lord, Lord said something to me this, this past year and it, it almost felt blasphemous, I've got to be honest with you. I struggled with it for a couple months. He said, you've heard most of your life that your sole existence on the planet is to serve God. I was like, yeah, we're here to serve God. And he said, but then when God showed up in flesh, God came and served you. Jesus showed up and he said this. He said, I didn't come to be served. That was the king talking. That was God talking. God said, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. The creator washed creation's feet. I want you to think about that for a minute. But then it hit me because I was struggling with it. I'm like, God, I don't even know if I could say this out loud. That, you know, we're here to serve God. And it's not that we don't have a heart to serve, but the kingdom of God is not a kingdom of servants. It's a kingdom of sons who know they're loved by the Father and they choose to serve him out of love and relationships. 
But then all of a sudden it hit me. What did Jesus come to reveal above everything else? He said, I came to reveal the Father. Every parent serves their children. Children don't serve us. How many parents in here know your children don't serve you? <laughs> you are at their beck and call, especially when they're young. Good luck if you think. Now, now they might do their chores when they get older. They might make their bed. Listen, my kids are grown. They're in their 20s. We go to eat. Daddy still picks up the bill. Why? Because it's what parents do. My heart is to serve their destiny. It's to help them. It's to encourage them. Every parent will lay down their life for their children. And yet we've been told it's the Father's good pleasure to give us the kingdom. Do we think Papa's any different? Do we think Abba, the father, the best father in the universe, he said, no matter how good you are, you ain't nothing compared to me, chief. Matter of fact, you being evil, man, you don't even get how good I really am. And, and he said, listen, this, I've come to reveal the father because the father's heart is to lay down his life for his children. And that doesn't mean we don't serve him, but we serve him. We love him because he first loved us. I have a heart to serve him and serve others because he's my example. He showed me how to lay down my life and my agenda for other people. He didn't, he didn't, his example was not come carry my Bible and kiss my ring. His example was God showed up and he said, I want to show you that above everything, my heart is to serve my creation. My heart is to show you what God really looks like. Because I'm telling you, man, when you read the rest of the scriptures, it's not that God wasn't on a journey with them. But I'm telling you, the God of, that looks like Jesus is very different. Very different. Let me tell you, the cross and the new covenant changed everything. The incarnation transformed man's whole idea of what they thought about God. Because their whole view of God is that he was angry and retributive and he was, you know, somewhere in the distance. What if God were one of us? And their idea of God is, was like Molech. He wants children to be offered up into the fire. It was the mindset of Abraham's culture coming from Mesopotamia that God tells Abraham one day, all right, now give me your firstborn son, lay him on an altar and kill him. There was no argument. Let me tell you, that bugged me for a long time. Because I want to be honest with you right now. I don't care if I heard 10 audible voices and 50 prophecies. If, if a voice from heaven told me, kill your son, Brandon. Nope. <laughs> Sorry, disobey. I'm going to rebel against this one. If you want my son killed, you're going to have to do that by yourself. I'm not killing my own child. But, but a man that was raised in Mesopotamia under a culture that was polytheistic, that, that, that their gods demanded the firstborn, and that's where he come from the first 40 years of his life, and now Elohim, this God, that he hears a voice and just takes off walking one day, this God says, give me your child. He's like, okay, cool. You must be like all the other gods. The difference is, once he put his son on the altar, he's ready to thrust in the knife, and this God says... Uh-uh, I require obedience, not sacrifice. I'm not like all those other guys. I'm not trying to wipe you out. I'm trying to produce life in you and not death in you because God looks like Jesus. And God has always looked like Jesus. No man has seen God at any time. And in God, there is no darkness at all. There is only light. So if I view something and I think it's God and it's full of darkness, it's not God. I have a friend of mine, and he has, he's taught it for years. He said, I have simple theology, caveman theology. Ugh, God is good. Ugh, 
devil is bad. <laughs> it's like, that's like pretty simple theology right there. Devil is bad. Ugh. God is good. Ugh. There's no darkness in God. So if you want to know what God looks like, you've got to look at Jesus. You don't look at Elijah. You don't look at Moses. There's a reason why Jesus rebukes James and John, because they want to call fire out of heaven like Elijah, because they thought that's what God looked like. They're like, man, this city doesn't receive the Son of God. Let's call fire out of heaven and fry them all, because that's what God does. And yet Jesus turns to him and he says, boys, you don't know what spirit you're of. You're, you, you've misconstrued everything about my father. Is, is this helping anybody? I, I, you, you've missed the whole point, man. That's not who he is. You sure? I mean, can't we? I mean, we sing about it. These are the days of Elijah. I mean, aren't they? I, th- I, thought, I thought they were. These are the days of Moses, righteousness being restored. The law couldn't restore righteousness. These are not the days of Moses, for heaven's sakes. You, the law couldn't make you righteous. I mean, that's, that's a horrible song. Help us, Jesus. It just is. It's horrible theology. It's terrible. Folks running around the building. Oh, <laughs> We're not even thinking sometimes about stuff we sing, say, preach, nothing. There's no darkness in him. God looks like Jesus. Everybody say that out loud. Say, God looks like Jesus. Listen, my, my, my theology is getting so much simpler the older that I'm getting. If it doesn't look like Jesus, is it God? If it doesn't look like Jesus, should that be something I at least have a discussion with somebody about? Or am I okay with the idea of just because, just because I found it in a book and the book is proper and the book is inspired, but anybody that really studies the book knows it's not perfect. The Logos is perfect. Jesus, John said, we tasted and handled the word of life. He's like, Jesus is the Logos of God. I have one of my spiritual sons, he's done this intense study on the difference between graphe and Logos, and he showed no one in church history, and no one ever taught that the graphe, the scriptures were called the word of God. Jesus, it doesn't say in the beginning was the Bible. In American evangelicalism, the Bible's become the fourth person of the Trinity. We're Biblians, not Christians. Come on, we're, we're full of bibliotry. It's, it's, it's idolizing. Listen, we, we, we've taught our kids to have more of a relationship with the book than the author. Jesus said this, I've got more for you. You guys just aren't ready right now, but when the spirit of truth comes, he's going to lead you into all truth, not the scriptures. The Holy Spirit's going to lead you into all truth. That means he can find truth in a movie for you. Come on. Now, is the scriptures important? Yes. Don't misunderstand me. Uh, are, are there boundaries there? Yes. We learn about Jesus in them. There's historical facts. There's truths there. Gobble it up, but understand God looks like Jesus. Everything else that was written according to Romans 15, the purpose for it was to give us hope and perseverance. And, and according to Paul in Corinthians, it was there as end samples to us, which was type symbols and shadows. And it was there to show us that I, I'm convinced part of the reason it's there is to show us what God wasn't like. And to show us that man's view of God has morphed from one covenant to another. And man's view of God, God's never changed. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. But our perception of him has. Our ideas of God have changed through 
the years. I mean, I know the God I know today. He's the same God I knew as a little boy, but my perception of him is totally different. I mean, I saw when I was growing up, I saw this angry deity that would, man, he'd, he'd throw me away for having one wrong thought. I mean, if I looked at a pretty girl, that's okay. But if you look twice, straight to hell, man, you better not look twice. And if you got in a car accident, once you look twice, you're done. That's over. Yeah, you're the same pastor. Well, it was our fathers. Help us, Jesus. <laughs> so what does God look like? Let me, let, let me give this and then I'll minister to you. God looks like Jesus, but what is Jesus? What did Jesus came to reveal to us? First of all, he came to reveal the Father. He came to show us what God has always looked like. But he also came to do something that we rarely talk about. He came to show us not just what the divine looks like, but what a human's supposed to look like. Uh, N.T. Wright is one of my favorite authors. He's probably one of the most brilliant theologians alive today. He was the Archbishop of Durham in England. Brilliant, brilliant man. His book's phenomenal. I'll never forget, one of the things he reiterates quite often in his books is he said that Jesus came to show us how to be human because we didn't know how. Adam was supposed to be our example to show us how a human is supposed to treat another human, how humanity is supposed to honor and treat each other and love each other. But man instead became full of anger and sin and violence and all kinds of other issues, and they begin to murder and kill. And all of a sudden, it, it, it turned into a whole system of madness and anger and blood and sacrifice. And he said, all of a sudden, Jesus shows up, and he said, now let me show you how to be a human. Let me show you how you treat someone that is against you. You bless them. Let me show you how you respond. When people are crucifying you, you forgive them. Let me show you how to respond when, when, when someone is caught in an act of sin and it's clear as a bell because they are naked right in front of you and they are thrown in front of you and the law says to stone them, but you instead say he who is without sin casts the first stone and your response to her is grace and mercy because your justice, you even told us in the Old Testament, your justice is not anger and retribution, but it is mercy and is goodness because you make just judgments. So what does God look like? God looks like Jesus, that when we mess up and we screw up and we fall before him, his response is, I don't condemn you. But yet over here, the Old Testament under the law, Moses would, I'm going to stone you behind, man. You're done. You're gone. It's all in the same well, it's actually not in the same book. It's in the same compilation of books. <laughs> the 66 books. And it all beautifully melts together. It's a beautiful book. But in the midst of all of that, there's this beautiful Jesus. Jesus said the law and the prophets speak of him. The sum of the book speaks of him. On the Emmaus Road, he's walking with disciples and showing them him in the scriptures. That's why we study them, because we're looking for him. We're not looking for what we can get away with. We're not looking for how we can live crazy lives and do whatever we want and kill folks that we don't like. We're looking for him. 
And we find Jesus, and Jesus changes us, and Jesus transforms us, and Jesus gives us this amazing picture. And he said, this is how you are to be a human. This is how you are to honor your fellow man. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church and gave himself for her. In other words, learn how to lay down your life for others because this life is not about you because it's no longer you that live but Christ that lives in you and the life you now live in the flesh, you live by the faith of the Son of God. It's him living his life now through you because God is light and God is life and God is love. That has to be the premise of where we start. We don't start in the old and head towards the new. We start in the new, and we're now looking back at the old, and we interpret it through the lens of Jesus and his finished work. Jesus is our hermeneutic. Jesus is our interpretive lens. Jesus is who we now view everything through. Because, and you know, when you know what blows me away? It seems like the more I preach Jesus and put a focus on Jesus, the more preachers get mad at me. I don't understand it. I mean, you kind of think he's kind of the point. I mean, if the law and the prophets spoke of him and the summit book speaks of him and on the Mount of Transfiguration, Moses and Elijah are standing there shining and glowing with Jesus and Peter walks up and Peter's first response is, let's build three synagogues. In other words, let's worship the law, let's worship the prophets, and let's just add Jesus to our theology. The moment Peter says it, Moses and Elijah are gone, Jesus is standing all by himself, and the Father's voice from heaven says, this is my son, hear him. In other words, don't hear them. Their only purpose was to point to him. He now is the full representation. He's the exact image of the Godhead. He's what God looks like. If you want an understanding of who God is, check Jesus out. Period. This is not difficult. This makes the gospel pretty simple. Just check out Jesus. But you see, when our lenses are wrong, when we even view Jesus through a wrong covenant, when we see Jesus, because I have people tell me all the time, oh, yeah, you know, Jesus was loving, but, you know, Jesus went into the temple one day and kicked some tail. Because that's the one verse everybody goes to. Oh, yeah, see, God gets mad. And I'm like, no, he doesn't. God gets angry. God gets angry. God even tells us it's okay to get angry. Be angry, but don't sin. What's sin? Getting mad. Because that means you lost self-control. Anybody that would tell me that God lost self-control? That means he's, he's not being led by his own spirit and fruit, which is self-control. Okay, uh, not only that, but it says Jesus sat down and took three cords and began to make a whip. Now, he wasn't sitting there. I'm going to get these suckers. I'm just gonna, gonna. Listen, you know how long it would take to, to, make, to make a whip of three cords about it? He wasn't just sitting there. I mean, I've had people say, man, he took that whip and he, he kicked those guys out of there. It actually doesn't say that. The whip was for the animals. Jesus didn't come to whip any humans. He came to be whipped to put an ending to all desire for whipping. He became the final sacrifice so that it took away all sacrifices. He is the last one, the final one, once and for all. Because God's like, listen, man, I wasn't even about that. You wanted sacrifice, not me. I want obedience was never in my heart. It's the stuff you desired. 
I used it. I used it for pictures. I used it for all this example to show you that my son was going to be the final one once and for all. And, and he, in his sacrificial laying down of his life, said, now, no more scapegoating. No more sacrifices. I'm the final one. Final one. So, you know, if you're... Favorite television preacher says after Jesus comes back someday and the temple's rebuilt in Jerusalem and they're going to start offering up red heifers, just smile at them and say, I don't think so. Listen, ain't no more blood ever going to be shed for all of eternity. Jesus' blood was enough. Someone say amen. That is really good news to me. No more animals. The only, the only blood going to be shed. Listen, I mean, I got a thing in the mail back, back here a year ago. Someone... I, I don't even know. I mean, he must have had my address from like 1993 and, and said that there was a red heifer born in Mississippi and they're raising money to raise the red heifer because Jesus is coming any minute now and then they're going to have to have the red heifer so that they can offer the red heifer to him in a sacrifice when he puts his foot on the Mount of Olives. And I was like, listen, the only way I'm going to send money for a red heifer is if you are going to package that sucker up, send it to me so I can grill it in my backyard. And I hope it's an Angus. I'm just telling you. We're going to eat that thing, man. It ain't going to be a burnt offering either. Medium rare, baby. That's the only way to do it. <laughs> Jesus, once and for all, so Jesus comes to show us what God looks like. Comes to show us what a human is supposed to look like. Came to show us what love looks like. Came to show us that, listen, greater love is no man, no one than this and man lays down his life for his friends. There's no greater love than this. Let me show you how I respond in love. You see, even, even in the temple when he cleanses it, that's, a, that's nothing. I think I shared it with you last time I was here. That was nothing but a prophetic act. And his anger, he even quotes the scripture, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. And you've turned it into a den of robbers and thieves. His anger was that he was in the outer court and they had relegated the, all of the Gentile people who wanted to become Judy, Jews and they embraced Judaism. They were selling them sacrifices in the outer court that were inferior sacrifices in other words, they weren't making it a house for all nations, just for Jews. And his anger was that they were excluding people he was trying to include. His anger was still all about, listen, the people that you throw away, the marginalized, those are the ones I came to die for. That's why he said, I was hungry and you didn't feed me. I was thirsty, you gave me nothing to drink. I was in prison, you, you didn't visit me. I was naked, you didn't clothe me. Lord, when did this happen? He said, you've done it to the least of these, you've done it. To me, why? Because my house is for everybody, Jew and Gentile, Greek, male, female. My heart is for all of humanity, not for a few people. I died for everybody. I reconciled the whole world, but the whole world's not saved. They still have to believe it by grace through faith to enjoy the reconciliation. The price was paid for everybody. But not everybody enjoys the blessing. I like to explain like the Emancipation Proclamation. President Lincoln says it's illegal now to have slaves. But people stayed slaves for, for 50, 60 years beyond that. Because some of them never heard that it was illegal to no longer have slaves. So they had been redeemed. That The price had already been paid for them to never be a slave again. But they still acted like a slave because they never heard the good news. And that's how it is with people all over the world. Jesus already loves them. Do you know what it means to be reconciled? It means to be brought into favor. In God's mind, he's like, the whole world's been brought into favor with God. God's not counting men's sins against them. That's like really good news right there. I never heard that message growing up. 
that the message was God's not counting your sin against you. I mean, matter of fact, God was counting every sin against you. He was counting every wrong thought, everything you did wrong. I mean, he was counting it against you because God hates sin. Yeah, he hates sin because of what it does to you, not because of what it does to him. Sin doesn't freak him out. Matter of fact, where sin abounds, grace superabounds. Grace is a person. That means God runs towards sin, not away from sin. God didn't run from Adam and Eve. He ran towards Adam and Eve. He didn't run from Cain when Cain killed his brother. He ran towards Cain and went and put a mark on his head. He touched sin. Didn't freak him out. Sin is not kryptonite to God. God didn't walk around saying, oh, Lord, I can't be around sin because it just weakens me. Listen, he's holy and he's righteous, but, but, but his heart is to transform that situation and not run from it. That's where there's nothing you can do that will keep God from running towards you. Because that's what Jesus showed us. Hey, Zacchaeus, I know you've been ripping people off. I know you've been defrauding people, but Zacchaeus, I must come to your house. Hey, Zach, I, I want to just come hang out with you. My heart is not against you, Zach. It's for you. Matter of fact, you've got favor with me, even though you've been in collusion with the Romans. You've got no friends whatsoever. Romans don't like you because who? how can you trust someone that would be against his own people? No Jews like you because you're in collusion with the Romans. I mean, you are the worst of the worst, you little publican. And Jesus doesn't look up and say, hey, you filthy, rotten, stinking little heathen. You're going to hell in a handbasket. You've been ripping people off. Instead, he just says, hey, Zach, let me show you my father's heart towards you. I want to come hang out with you. Matter of fact, let's, let's have a meal together. Let's break bread. And in that culture, when you went to someone's house to eat, it meant you not only accepted them, you accepted everything they do. That's why it was a pretty big deal to go to someone's house. And here is Jesus. He's saying, let me show you. Let me show you how to respond to sin and shame. Let me show you how to respond in love. Let me show you how to live. And in this season of my life, I'm, I'm putting so much more of a focus on, I just want to see Jesus clearly. I want to emulate him. Uh, my heart, according to what John said, this is what he taught us. I, I, want, to, I want to live, I want to live his ethic, his anthropology. There was a lot of his message that actually wasn't for us. It was for the Jews. But I can still learn something from it. He was speaking to people under the law. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that he said that it's all important. But it wasn't the new covenant yet. He was carrying the new covenant in his blood. But his message was to a specific people until he would pull the disciples aside and said, now I'm going to tell you something. That's when you pay attention. Big time. I still learn from it all, but I watch how he lived. I watch how he honored. This is what God looks like. I want to I encourage every one of you tonight. I mean, I think we need to pull out again the bracelets. WWJD. I think we need to add one. Maybe, maybe make some money on this. I don't know. WDJD. What did Jesus do? I think that's the thing the body of Christ needs more than anything else is actually what did he already do? The greatest revelation coming to the church is not what God is going to do, but what he's already done. And when we understand what he fulfilled in his finished work, and he came to reveal to us the Father. Because no man had seen God at any time. It's not that they didn't have peaks and they didn't see glimpses, but they didn't see him clearly. 
but Jesus is the clear representation. He's our message. He's what we share. He's what the world is starving for. The world is looking for him like never before. Kevin, if you come start playing something, it'll finally shut me up for a minute. I, I, I pray you don't leave here thinking that everything in the Bible is not important to read. Every ounce of it teaches us something. Every ounce of it. We just have to know how to interpret it correctly. One of my myths and mistranslations that I've shared even several times is the book of Romans tells us that faith comes by hearing. And most of our translations say hearing by the word of God, which is a mistranslation. Some of the newer translations translate it correctly from the Greek. It actually is faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ, by Christos, by the word of Christ. Faith doesn't come because we've read that and we said, okay, well, faith comes by reading the Bible. Well, there's a bunch of stuff in the Bible that's not going to produce an ounce of faith in you. The law shuts up faith. So, I mean, there's a whole bunch of books I can read that are not going to produce an ounce of faith in me whatsoever because Paul said the law shuts up your faith doesn't produce faith. I mean, there's a bunch of stuff you can read in the Old Testament that's not going to produce an ounce of trust, confidence, and belief in you. God still had it written down. It still has a purpose. But the truth is, you and I were never under law. Ever. Nobody's been under law for over 1,900 years. The law was made obsolete. It was dealt with. Jesus literally, I mean, listen to this, guys. Jesus negated whole books of the Bible <laughs> by going to the cross. I want you to just think about that for a minute. He was saying, this doesn't even apply to you anymore. Why? Because the law has been made obsolete. doesn't mean you don't read it. doesn't mean you don't learn something from it. doesn't mean it's not a, a shadow, but you have the substance. And now you can look and you can see Jesus in all of his glory. I am, um, a good portion of my church are millennials. And many of them, a lot of their issue with church is because they've actually gone online and studied some things, some of it wrong. Just because it's on the internet doesn't mean it's real. Someone please say amen. The internet's been a great blessing and a curse sometimes at the same time. But they don't just believe it because we said it. They actually go look it up. They've actually begun to look up origins and church history and where things come from. And then I read a book not too long ago where they had, they said nearly 80% of kids that leave church and go to college, especially if they were in a church that was more entertainment-based, if the kids were never in a worship service with the parents, they were never, it was... The kids that always get dropped off and they have their own music and their own thing from the time they're little till they're a teenager. By the time they go to adult church in college, they don't want to go to church anymore because it's not as fun. But then they made a statement. They said, by the time they take one philosophy class in college, 
And the professor destroys the idea that the Bible has no contradictions in it because they bring out dozens of them. They lose out on their faith because we pretty much taught generations to have more of a relationship with the book than Jesus. Because a kid calls home. I mean, this happened to a young person in my dad's church. They called home, tore up, went to the University of Michigan, and they're like, Mom and Dad, you told me my whole life this is inerrant and infallible and perfect. And I had this class, and I walked out shaking because they literally showed me there's all kinds of stuff in there that's not that. Not in church today. I want anything to do with God today. Because they're like, if that's not true, whatever, what, then everything I was taught probably isn't true. And that's not true. Still believed a lie. Of course it was still true. 98% of it was probably true. But we're losing a generation because we're trying to shove down a 500-year-old doctrine down their throat. Mainly from John Calvin. Johnny Calvin messed us up in a lot of ways. God bless him. He did. We're trying to shove something down people's throat that most of them don't believe anyway. It's just they're afraid to talk about it in church because if you ask a preacher about it, like, well, no, 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 no. We've all had these questions. We've all read stuff and went, huh? That's God? Really? He did that? Mm. That seems kind of crazy. And then people turn into Marcionites, which was a first century group of people who said, you know what? The God of the Old Testament of the Jews, that's not the Abba of Jesus. And they threw the whole Testament out. That was refuted as a heresy in about 160 AD because that's wrong too. It's absolutely wrong. Why? Because Jesus revealed himself in those scriptures. Jesus says it is written. You know how many times he said it is written? And there was no New Testament when he said that. I mean, think about it. Paul, Paul said, study to show yourself approved. A workman who needs not be ashamed. The only thing they had to study was the law and the prophets. There was no New Testament yet. But what they were looking for there was Jesus. They were looking for what he fulfilled. And, and there was a lot of stuff he annulled, not only fulfilled. He said, God's not like that. He's not like that. He's, he's like this. God is like Jesus. God has always been like Jesus. There's never been a time he wasn't like Jesus. We just didn't know it. But now we've been given truth. And now we look at how he lives. I've, I, I, I'm in a place in my life, I, I have a daily prayer. One thing I pray is I pray, Father, I, I want people to feel safe in my presence. Because there was a day I didn't think people were supposed to. There was a day I thought the more you intimidate people in the name of Jesus, then you're walking in authority. But now I realize that, man, people, Jesus was called a friend of sinners because people felt ridiculously safe in his presence. They didn't feel under conviction. They didn't feel miserable because of their sin. They felt safe. They could be themselves without judgment or shame in Jesus' presence. Growing up in the Pentecostal church, I was taught the opposite. If a sinner 
feels uncomfortable in your presence. There's some sin in your life. There's something wrong with you. Until the Lord spoke to me one day, he said, try to find one time where unbelievers ever felt uncomfortable around Jesus. Only time anybody ever felt uncomfortable around Jesus was the religious people that were trying to be the ones putting all of those other people under bondage and law. They're the ones that they get a little irritated. They'd gnash their teeth and want to kill them. I mean, you know how mad you got to be to gnash your teeth? I mean, that's pretty ticked off right there. I mean, I don't know if I've ever been mad that I gnashed my teeth. I mean, that's pretty intense. But that's, Jesus came to show us. And I, I've just made up my mind. I said, God, I want, I want people to feel safe. I don't ever want them to feel judged. I want to be able to sit next to someone on an airplane and they not feel any air come off me at all. I, 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 I want to be, Jesus showed us what humility looks like. Jesus came to reveal the heart of who the Father is. Moses wasn't the most humble man that ever lived. Jesus was the most humble man that ever lived. The problem is Moses said that about himself. It's kind of like I'm proud of my humility. Think about that for a minute. Moses was the most humble man that ever lived, but Moses wrote it. So anyway, <laughs> I don't know if you ever thought about that before, but it's, I'm proud of my humility. There was a day when I loved the law so much and all the law did was produce in me arrogance and pride. Produced it in me and I was good at it. But God resists the proud. Gives grace to the humble. It's hardest for us to, to live like Jesus who would humble himself and wash feet. That's, that's pretty incredible. Especially in that culture when everybody had stinky toes. Today it's not as bad because everybody's got shoes on. In that nasty, smelly culture, everybody walking in donkey poo and horse poo. And it was a little bit nasty back then. Yet God came, the Creator, and washed creation's feet. I, believe, I think that's the most beautiful picture I've ever seen, and that's what God looks like. So bow your heads a moment. Would you, Father, I thank you today. Holy Spirit, I, I ask that you take maybe even some of the mess of what I shared and just make it real to your sons and daughters. Let them see that, Jesus, you really are the one we're called to be conformed to. It is your image and your likeness. Lord, it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but when you are revealed, we'll be like you, for we'll see you as you really are. That's not, that's not talking about when you return someday, that you want to reveal yourself to us right now. That the more we see you, the clearer we'll see ourselves, and then the clearer we'll see others. Teach us to be honorable and serve. Teach us that how we change a city is not yelling at it and screaming at it and throwing Bible verses at it, but we serve the city because we love the city. Teach us to serve on the job. Teach us, show us what Jesus would do. we
Thank you for listening to the Exchange Church Podcast. Follow us on our social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Just search for the Exchange Church Houston. If you would like to give to the Exchange Church, you can go to our website at IamTheExchange.com and look for the red button in the top right corner labeled Give Online.